Welcome to the Highland Good Food Podcast. I'm Emma Whitton and this week I'm delighted to be speaking to folk involved in the retail and restaurant sector here in the Highlands. These sectors are super important to our local economy and play a vital role in a successful, sustainable food system. There are great examples from across the region of restaurants showcasing local food and celebrating all the Highlands has to offer as well as countless local shops providing the essential link between producers and consumers. But there is definitely room for improvement and opportunities for further collaboration and joined up working. To look into some of these challenges and opportunities, I am joined with Quinton from the Storehouse, which is situated on the Cromarty Firth with breathtaking views of the Black Isle. So welcome, Quinton. It's lovely to have a blithery this afternoon. Thanks for asking me to join you. It'd be really great if you could just introduce the listeners to the business model that you've got here at the storehouse. We have here, we have a a restaurant, a daytime restaurant, and we have a retail outlet attached to it. The daytime restaurant is Monday to Saturday, serving breakfast, lunch and afternoon teas, home baking, and uh, we very much focus on buying as much local produce as we can. Seasonally, it affects us as well, buying seasonal fruit, veg and things, so and we run a blackboard menu, so we can always chop and change. And if something runs out, we can always add another product or, or get something else on the menu. Then our retail side, we've got sort of two angles to that. We've got one, which is the food, and we've got some gifts. But predominantly, it's a food outlet. And again, we try and buy as much as we can from the Highlands, from our surrounding area. But we also appreciate that there's a lot of other very good areas within the UK that do an amazing job, and they, they also produce incredible produce and uh, so you'll see some of that on the shelves as well. So can you tell us a little bit about the offer that you've got in your restaurant? You were saying earlier about how you try to make that reflect what's available seasonally and locally. Yeah of course we use as as many suppliers as we can, butchers, artisan suppliers and you know seasonality when lamb's in season we try and buy lamb, we try and use lamb. When beef is good we're trying to use the beef as well. Venison um, game when that's in season we'll use it too but we have to be mindful in our restaurant our price ceiling is about 12 pound 50 13 pounds for a plate so using local sometimes really difficult from a margin point of view as well where the small person growing incredible meat they want to get the best possible price they can and, and that doesn't always work for us you know buying in beef mints at eight nine ten pound a kilo which they would get from their doorstep we need to be buying that in considerably cheaper if we want to be able to put a plate of food out at, at the right price. So yeah, the goods and the bads of it. The other one is we want to use it when we can get it. So if it runs out, it doesn't matter. We move on to someone else. We're not always stuck to one particular producer or one particular farm that's providing us the, the produce. So it enables us to shop around a little bit too. That flexibility sounds like a real plus to your business model. It's absolutely key, yeah. key, key to what we do. So you were speaking there about different meats and, and fish, but um, where do you get your veg from? Is that local as well? or? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we buy, a, principally we buy most of our fruit and veg from a fruit and veg dealer who buys it in from the markets. But again, for seasonality, we work with a couple of local farmers and uh, they bring it in each day. Our tatties, they'll go through most of the year because of cold storage now. Our local farmer in Dingwall, he, he provides all of our potatoes for us throughout the year. So that's a good supply chain. Fruit and veg comes from a farmer over near Kirkhill. And they grow amazing cauliflowers, incredible Romanesque, uh, broccoli, 
carrots and things, so good product from there. And then from a fruit side of it, we're either along the East Coast, we're at Tor, or we're down in Perthshire. Do you find any challenges with working with local producers? It's all about building relationships, and they've got to understand what you do, and we have to understand what they do. You know, generally, problems arise if you're really, really busy and you need more, but they can't supply you with more, or they've already committed part of their crop to someone else for that day, and then you get left with a hole. And the last thing you want to do is not have that particular product on your shelf at that particular time of the year. You want, you've got to have it there. It's got to be looking great. So it's how much do you order? You don't want to have waste. But we're lucky with the restaurant. We shouldn't really ha ever have any waste because whatever doesn't sell in our shop, we can transfer through into the restaurant and it becomes a special the next day. That's a really um, good positive of having the link of the two, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Do you find that you have any sort of cloud to influence what the local producers grow or do you just take what they've got on offer? Is it like a two-way thing? Yeah, Can you influence I, what's grown? I don't think I have huge influence on what's grown, but I certainly can provide a good outlet for what they can grow. Generally, the farmer or the, the, the producer is, is the person who knows what their ground is best suited to or what their business model is suited to growing or, or providing. We are then the second part of the chain where we can provide an outlet for that particular product. And yeah, there's a couple of people we buy from who certainly are heavily focused on making sure that they supply us for as long as they can in the year because they know it's a good outlet to, to sell through. The reason I asked you that last question is that I've picked up from several local producers that the restaurant sector tries to influence what they grow and when. Can that really work? I think that's where the sector starts to fall over when that influence becomes too strong because then the farmer or the primary producer, whoever it is, starts to manipulate their business too much, yeah. maybe, and then you're not really being 100% true to what you're trying to do. You know, I think when you, when you look at that in, in the sense of fresh berries or something, and you know, as a consumer, when a berry is grown correctly and it's picked when it's right, it's delicious. But when you buy in strawberries late in the year or early in the year, and they might be red around the outside, and you chop through it, and it's white core all the way through it. It's tasteless. And I think that, you know, that's a great example where it just doesn't work. I think it was noted by anybody that lives around here locally, how well, with such an entrepreneurial spirit, your business adapted to the shock of COVID back at the end of March. And it'd be really great if you could tell us about how you adapted to that challenge and the new offers that you put forward for your customers. Yeah, Obviously, when COVID struck in the middle of March, basically as a business, we had two decisions. We either went cold, shut the door, I put it in the two hard box, or we said, no, we're going to make this work. And just through being able to be dynamic, to be able to alter our business quickly enough, working with local suppliers and developing an online platform, you know, within 24 hours, we'd got ourselves up and running as an online shop. And the orders started coming in. As the orders started coming in, we grew that, that offering. And we also kept the shop open so that as a, as a consumer, you could also come down, feel safe, park out in the car park, come in. We could either have your order ready for you and we'd take it out to your car, put it in the boot of your car. Or if you wanted to come in and have a little bit of interaction and shop and, and do your own picking, you could do that as well. So I, I guess we were fortunate. We've got a great site for it. We're in a good location and we had space. And by having space, it enabled us. We converted our restaurant into the fruit and veg hall. And that was key, I think, to the whole process, that 
big space, big open area, and a feeling of safety. So we, we moved quickly and it worked, and the uptake was good, and we traveled all over the area. We covered Rosshire, Invernessshire, we went up into Sutherland, we were through in Nenshire, we were down the Loch, Loch Ness, Cannock. Wow, so, so you had a pretty big patch. Oh, so yeah, That's yeah. That's impressive. And one of the really hard bits was we don't have algorithms. We don't have online platforms which map out your route to where you need to go to. And we were doing it just pretty much on the back of a fag packet, working out each day. You know, if you go there, you end up there and you end up somewhere else and you try and make a loop of it. And, and the consumers were really good as well. And you've got to take your hat off to consumers because they were very good at understanding that on a Wednesday we're... A, up near Donick and Rogat and you know all around that area there and on a Friday we're in Inverness and on a Thursday we're around the Bewley and the Murray Firth so it didn't take long for the people ordering to know what the storehouse was doing where they were operating we would make exceptions sometimes you went to Inverness every single day but that was consumer demand and it made it worth our while. And did you have to find new suppliers? Yeah a few new suppliers what we did have to do is expand our offering of fresh product, so salady items, things that would make an entire shop. So we had to really look from a consumer's point of view and say, if you went into a supermarket, what would you need for a weekly shop? And once we could get that into our offering, then suddenly it started making sense for people and then the spend went considerably up. And did you start to see people actually look like they were doing their full weekly yeah, shop with absolutely. you? absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it was very evident they were doing their weekly shop because it was everything from fresh to ambient, chilled, frozen, or delivered to them. That's fantastic. Where are you at with that now? It's backed off. We've seen a little bit of a, a rise again with COVID coming back, the second wave. So we are starting to see those orders, people who are maybe just feeling a little bit edgy about going out, or older fraternity who have thought, actually, no, we're just going to sit back and get the food brought to us. So... Certainly, it backed off for about a month, sort of end of August, and then since the middle of September, we've seen that steady growth again. Nothing like what it was in March, but uh, there is growth again. Is this a part of your model that you would like to see increase, or is it something that you're quite happy to see kind of settle down? We will keep it going as long as we can, and they, I think it's a really important part of what we do now because it's a service. And if we want to have local produce, highland produce, available to our consumers we need to make that as easy as possible for them and by taking that service to their doorstep or providing a click and collect and there's quite a lot of click and collect i mean today as an example we've probably got about 15 click and collect where we might have about five or six home deliveries so that click and collect enables people to come down they might have a cup of coffee they might come in a quieter time in the restaurant and then pick up their box of food which is all ready for them it's nothing new. Big supermarkets do click and collect. You know, they've been doing it for years. But uh, we're just able to do it on a, on a more sort of friendly, homely feel to it. People listening to this might actually then think a little bit differently. There is actually an option yeah. in this area to have yeah. local food delivered to your door. That's quite spectacular. Absolutely. Wow. You know, one, one thing that took off hugely at one point was afternoon teas. And it went absolutely mad in sort of July time just when we were coming out of the whole lockdown. and So we did a lot of afternoon teas. And they, people enjoyed that. And from a small business perspective, 
to make these deliveries worthwhile, to make them stack up economically, because that's the bottom line of it. We're not doing it for nothing. We have to be doing it to add to our business. We need the extras, the bits that we can add areas to it. You know, if someone says, can you make a lasagna? We'll make a lasagna. If someone says, can you make us a whole batch of soup? Absolutely, we'll make those products and deliver them as part of that service. And that brings me to the next question, which is how is your ready-made meal offer developing? Because that's something that you've had going for a couple of years, isn't it? Yeah, certainly. That, that ready-made, that's going well. We're in the middle of a merge at the moment with another company. And by doing that, it's enabled us to step forwards hugely. We set up the business five years ago and developed a brand called the Highland Cookhouse. And we set off with our first range of food. That range of food has done well. But we soon realized that if we really wanted to grow that business, we needed to bring in expertise and a business partners and financial help. Yep, it's going well. It's going from strength to strength. We're developing new brands. We're entering into new markets. We're looking at multiple retailers. So it's exciting. Really it's exciting. a very exciting yeah. time, isn't it? I love your dynamic approach to all of this, just ready to take on the next challenge, Quentin. That's the exciting part. That is, <laughs> it's, it's really, it's yeah. really super exciting and I'm really getting a feel for that. So looking forward to the next few years, what are your plans for your business? I think for storehouses, just continue to grow, you know, and continue to try and stay ahead of the curve a little bit, continue to try and make sure that our offering is always always moving, always has a, a, an edge or an excitement to it so that we maintain our consumer base. You know, in the area up here, every year there's another two or three really good outfits that open up. And I think that's great because that creates a bit of competition. It creates a healthy competition. But it also enables everyone to just step up the market a wee bit all the time rather than getting complacent. So that's from a storehouse point of view. From the prepared meal business is just fast growth to really, really capture a market that I think is there, or we know is there, but using Scottish produce in our, in our dishes and using that as a USP whenever we can. Brilliant. So as someone who is a business owner of a restaurant and of a shop and as we've just learned of a fantastic food delivery service, what would your wishes be for the local food system to support you in what you're trying to deliver? I think to improve engagement, to not think that just because we're, we're a busy place on the A9 that whatever it is that you produce, you can't come and talk to us or can't come and ask us to sell it in the shop or look at selling it in the shop. And really importantly is we do understand that you might not be able to supply us for part of the year. That doesn't matter. That's good news in many senses for us because that certainly tells a great story to the consumer or the customer that you know, buy that product when it's ready because it's amazing at this particular time of the year. And then you've got to wait until next year. And I think that's a really good message. If we can make that message strong, rather than the, the multiples, where it doesn't matter what time of year you go into there, you can always buy that product because they brought it in from Tunisia or somewhere else. Use that as a USP. You know, blackberries or blackcurrants or local raspberries or what have you. There is times of the year which they are at their best. Let's celebrate that. Let's get it out and let people enjoy it. Celebrating our local food story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, um, some local producers find that really encouraging. You never know who you might get Good. in touch. Many thanks, Quinton. I found that really interesting to get some insight into how a successful food retail business adapts and flows and encouraging to realise opportunities that exist. Quinton and his team at the Storehouse are definitely a great example of agile, innovative, and passionate entrepreneurs, and I look forward very much to see what they do next. 
Now I'm delighted to welcome Craig from Highland Whole Foods. Highland Whole Foods is an Inverness-based workers' cooperative supplying organic, ethical food and drink and household items. So just to begin with, Craig, if you could tell us about Highland Whole Foods, how the business model works and what your role is within the organisation, that would be great. Yeah, okay. Um, So Workers' Co-op that's been going for 30 years now in the Highlands and it's based on selling whole foods, which is no animal products at all. It's all ethical, vegan or vegetarian, fair trade where possible. No GM, no palm oil, no animal testing. And we try and do like gluten-free and things like that as well. So it's an ethical food retailer. It's a co-op. Our main suppliers are also co-ops and we're part of a network of other co-ops like Essential, Green City Down in Glasgow, Suma. And um, we don't deal with anyone else really apart from the small suppliers that are local. So that's what the whole thing's about. There's usually between 9 to 13 staff that we have. At the moment, there's nine full members and the business model as a co-op is that you own it and run it as long as you're a member there. So you put a little bit of equity in it, but you become a director of it immediately. So, yeah, that means it's a horizontal structure. You don't have any bosses at all, which is great because <laughs> you've got an equal say. And if things aren't good, then it's up to you to do something about it, you know. And I think recently with coronavirus, that really stood out to me because we weren't making decisions based on how do we protect our business. We were making decisions for us as individuals who run a business, you know, and it's a totally different way of coming at it. It's sort of like if there was individuals that needed to be furloughed because their family members were shielding, then that was a decision that we took. It wasn't based on, oh, are we making enough money and all that, you know? So you can respond to things like coronavirus or possibly Brexit next in a totally different way, which focuses on making sure that everybody's okay, but you still keep your business running, you know? I think it's the best way possible for me to actually run a business, really. And it's all done, you know, it's democratic, so we'll vote on it if we have to. But we have a monthly meeting and we decide what's going to happen and we share the benefits as well. So you might get dividends now and again. Yeah, it's just a really positive place to work because of that. No, it sounds like a really incredibly positive environment and to work somewhere where you can truly believe in the values. That's special, isn't it, you know? It definitely is. I And that's a funny thing because we just did a bit of recruitment there and you can imagine at this time there's a lot of people needing work, you know, so we got a lot of applications and when we were going through them, it was really striking that most people who put a CV out, that's not really on the radar at all. It's just do they have the skill set to do the job? So because it was a warehousing position, there was a lot of people who maybe had the skill set to do it, but weren't interested in the ethics but that's far more important to us that you're getting involved in the collective because you're interested in what we're doing and why we're doing it because the actual work that you're doing isn't markedly different it is the same as any other kind of retailer we're a wholesaler we put out to businesses but we're a bit different in that we have our showroom as well so the public can come in and we also sell directly to the public you're working in a shop, you're working in a warehouse, you're working in an office. It's not markedly different in terms of the actual tasks you're doing, but what's different is the mindset that you have because you're in charge of it. 
And the thing is, that's what the customer's looking for as well, isn't it? The customers are choosing to shop with you because of they're buying into the bigger offer. They are supporting that model, aren't they, by coming to buy from Definitely. you. When you are recruiting, so it's obviously is exceptionally important the kind of person that you get because you can actually teach someone how to look after the warehouse or how to, to work on a shop front. But you've got to have those values coming from deep inside you, don't you? And be part of that belief system to make the business work. Because from what you're saying, Keg, it sounds like the actual foundation of the success of the business and thinking that it's been running now for decades is that belief system and the value system that then drives everything forward that you're doing. Definitely. You know, you maybe get something that we sell cheaper in a supermarket, but people would buy from us rather than the supermarket because they want to support a local business doing what we're doing, you know? That's brilliant. It sounds like it's really quite solid. You were saying earlier that you work with a lot of small suppliers. How did that fare during March and April and May and the sort of when that first COVID crisis hit us? Yeah, it is kind of like we've got two networks, I guess. And the first one's the one I mentioned, the cooperative one. Mainly our suppliers are all also co-ops who all operate in the same way. We may make a decision to drop a product, for example, because we find out that they're involved in some kind of animal testing or abuse or whatever. And as a collective of people, we'll all do that together. Even though we're not the same business, we'll go, right, no, that's not happening. And we'll drop a product. So there's a there's a network there that has shared ethics. And then there's the small producers who are typically, you know, fairly small scale, local to the Highlands or Scotland at least. And then... Um, that side of our business is actually fairly small. It is only about 30. I was counting up the other day. It's only about 30 producers, really, out of a massive range of what we do. And it didn't really get affected by the coronavirus thing much at all. It was more that the wider supply chain coming from down south through the other bigger co-ops that we partner up with. There was issues with things not getting through. But there was some small, like Goldsby Mill, a small flower producer at one point, they couldn't get bags to put their flour in. So there was issues like that, so where people were finding they couldn't actually get the bags to put it in, or like McLeod's Organic couldn't get the normal cardboard boxes that they would use for their eggs. So there was some slight impacts on it, but really like the local side of it, there wasn't any issues. It just kind of kept ticking along. Yeah, so to kind of developing that a wee bit and talking about local producers, what role do you perceive Highland Whole Foods to have in supporting our local producers here in the Highlands? Well, we always have done. I mean, I, I was chatting to some of the staff that have been there longer than me. I've only been there like three and a half years now. There's some people that have been there nearly all 30. <laughs> and um, they were saying that they have been pretty key in helping some small producers sort of look at their marketing, look at their product, look at their packaging and give advice on that. But there is, unfortunately, there is sometimes a pattern with that where it will be a small business and we'll be like the sort of gateway for it. And then as they get more successful and their product becomes more recognised, they then move on to a much wider network and then they stop using us all together. But that's not a deal with us really in the, the big picture because we're just into supporting that anyway. It's not like a make or break because as I say we've got all the other business coming through from the co-op stuff for us really we're just really into being able to support small producers like that and that's fine and if they move on to bigger things that's great as well yeah. so um, we just would like to have a lot more of it really and it's not like we're asking for 
as a wholesaler, we want a, a really amazing deal from, you know, small producers where we're going to try and deal like a supermarket and get the most we can out of them and also demand all their produce at a certain rate or whatever. So we don't have any of that. We're pretty informal. It's just like, have you got stuff you want us to sell? Cool, give us it and we'll sell it. <laughs> you know, it's really pretty straightforward. And we'd love to have more. There's a few areas where, like honey, for example, local honey, that's always been an issue for us. And I think that's to do with the scale and the seasonality, I guess. So we go chasing small producers and they get a bit scared because they think they're going to get tied into something really big and that we'll be asking for really good margins off them and things like that when that isn't the case. So I'd like to negotiate more like that. I mean, one way to maybe overcome that that I thought of was if there was a cooperative of beekeepers, basically, who could overcome the the seasonality and the, the scale of how they're working by working together, because we'd love to do more of that kind of thing. That sounds like a, quite a good positive solution there you got, Craig. So maybe if people are listening to this, you never know, hopefully encouraging them to get in touch and think about how people can creatively work together. And as an organisation, Highland Toll Foods is there to support local producers. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I know like they've done stuff up in the islands, like Orkney got in touch with us at one time and they were wanting us to put a whole bit of our showroom to just Orkney Produce because they put a network and a collective together to highlight all their things. And it was a kind of marketing campaign. They basically collectivised, and that's what I'm into, obviously, as you can tell. And I think that's maybe something that could happen more in the Highlands, like a Highlands collective food network of all the different producers all kind of working together under one banner but also having their own individual things within that would be much more powerful and it would overcome these things. It would make it a stronger thing that you could put elsewhere, like Orkney approaching us. You could actually take it down south and go, here's the Highland Collective. There certainly are branding opportunities, aren't there? I was going to ask you about what you thought opportunities were for Highland Toll Foods and ideas of opportunities that you would have for local producers and you've kind of been touching on that but is there anything else that comes into your mind that you can see looking forward are opportunities both for you as an organisation and for the wider food system here in the Highlands? The thing that strikes to mind immediately for me is when you look at veggie boxes demand going through the roof during the pandemic there's a local landowner out here out in Tomek that's spoken to the community about releasing some of his land to allow community growing on it to allow community firewood and supported agriculture even livestock just to have a more resilient network and I think that's something that would go a long way to addressing the Highlands being a much more resilient thing it's not necessarily linked to Highland Whole Foods but I think there needs to be more people growing food and producing what we need in general. If you had universal basic income, you're only working three days a week, you'd have time to do that. So for us, as I say, the big part of our business at the moment isn't small producers, but we'd love it to be more like that. So it is about more people approaching us to do that or us finding more folk. To be honest, at the moment, we've been on a kind of like survival mode, as you'd expect, with the whole COVID thing. We were previously thinking about trying to move to a bigger premises with a bigger shop front so that we could have more local produce. We don't do any fresh stuff at all. We're a drop-off point for Vegbox, but we don't take any part of that financially. That's just as a service. So there's a lot of things that we would like to do, but we're pretty cautious at the moment because we feel lucky to just be taking over the way we are. 
we've not got loads of ideas about where to move next. I think we're just biding our time just now and seeing how this all lands. Because there's still supply chain issues starting to crop up now. Like at the moment, sugar is a thing that we're not getting much of. And it keeps changing whatever the commodities are that we're having problems with. So none of it's actually that certain at the moment for us. And it makes us quite cautious, I guess, you know. And that's really quite understandable. And I guess just keeping a solid base and keep doing what you're doing well is a good tactic for the time being. The other thing that would be good going forward is more buying groups. Because if people collectivise again, they're in their local area and they get a buying group together, then they'll get a better rate from us. And it means that the food comes to them cheaper. So there's things that we can do like that and we'd like to see more of. That sounds really quite promising. And I guess the kind of key words are that it's about the sense of collaborating with other folk and people being connected up and coming up with joint solutions would be really quite an important element of you looking forward. Yeah, yeah, definitely. As I say, we're like seeing what's coming on the horizon and then trying to keep the base solid. Our main thing is to survive over this. We don't know what Brexit's going to do next either. That's another thing that's going to have an impact on the other side of our business. But we would just encourage as many small businesses as possible that we're up for retailing that for you. And it can be as small or large as you want. There's no strings attached to it. You know, we're not a supermarket. Fantastic. That's an exciting vision, isn't it? And just to finish up, Craig, what would be your one personal wish for the Highland food system? Oh, it's massive. (laughs) Uh, Access to land that we're talking about earlier, you know, whether that's because we've become independent and we're compulsory purchasing it off people and turning it back to folks so that they can access it. We need more people involved in actually producing food on a completely different way of doing it as well. So lots of small scale organic food production across the Highlands. I'd love to see that. Yeah, that access to land. That kind of side of it, I think, is something that really needs addressed. At the moment, it's not sustainable what's going on up here with how the land's managed, and there is land there. There's a balance that needs to be struck about that, you know? Because there's things like oat milk, plant-based milk is a really big thing. No one in Scotland's doing that. We could be producing our own oat milk up here on a scale like some of the bigger producers are, but you need access to land to be able to do that and the vision to want to do it. Access to land is key to every single other thing that you can do. And then we'll be happy to sell it. (laughs) Make it, we'll sell it. (laughs) That's a great place to finish. Well, thanks very much, Craig. It's been great to chat to you and to find out about Highland Whole Foods and to find out about your thoughts as well. Yeah, no worries at all. Now I'm joined by John from the Highland Food and Drink Club. John has decades of experience in the Highland Food and Drink sector including many years in retail as the owner of a chain of convenience stores throughout Scotland. He is passionate about Highland produce and seeks to support the development of this sector through his latest venture. So nice to have you here, John. Could you begin by giving us a wee bit of background to the Highland food retail sector, say over the last decade, and how that sort of evolved over that time? Thanks for having me, Emma. I think probably work from now and go back the way if you like. Right now we have experienced a whole focus on local supply chain. I think that that came to the fore, came to the rescue even I think in in some of the retail outlets is that the national suppliers 
ran out of supply and a lot of people from a retail store side of things adopted more localised supply and I think the consumer demand was higher. But going back the way, I think that we have seen a, a huge shift, yeah, 10 years. Um, supermarkets, they've been there for 10 years, but I think the convenience and the more localised shops have definitely seen an increase. People have gone away from the bigger weekly shop and they are shopping more frequently with a smaller basket. Even within supermarkets, that is the pattern that, that you know people are shopping more often, but smaller spend. And I think in the recent COVID experience is that people's visits were less through COVID, but actually spending higher amounts within the convenience channel. But no, I think that there's definitely opportunities out there. It always seems fairly easy to get local meat from butchers, but I don't know any retailer selling locally grown veg apart from farm shops. Do you know why that is the case? My own experience of vegetables was, you know, I had a number of shops, but actually there was probably only two standout shops that could actually sell it well. Um, and I think that that is the vicious circle that you end up in produce, is that unless it's good, you can't sell it. And if you're not selling, it's not good. So it is really difficult. We are in a point now that, you know, the supermarkets, co-ops even, are very good at produce. You know, it's one of their main kind of stays. It's the first thing that you, you go into when you enter the supermarkets and even convenience. So they're so good at it that actually the supply chain, there's not that many good local shops that are good at it. So it's difficult. Yeah, farm shops, they would be better than a standard convenience store, if you like. So, And there's not that many farm shops left, really, um, I don't think, if I'm kind of looking at North Highlands. It's quite interesting, though, people's perception of the price that certain goods cost. So people think that vegetables cost more from a farm shop than they would from a supermarket. But it's actually not always the case. No. So from what you're saying, do you think that people that are looking to buy fresh local produce are more likely to go to somewhere like a farm shop than a convenience store? Because that's our culture just now. Yes, totally. As I said, I had a couple of shops that were, you know, Helmsdale and... Castletown were, were exceptional at selling vegetables because they probably were a bit of more of the main stores. Knowing that that product is there on a consistent basis for the consumer to buy it is key. You know, the consumer knows that they can have faith in going home from work, popping into that shop and getting it because its availability is a big thing, you know, consistent availability. And I'm not talking about throughout the whole year because produce is seasonal often. It is just that, you know, if it's in season and they've bought it the once, they're kind of wanting to get it on a regular basis. So, yeah, I would say there's a bit of an education to go. But what other challenges do you see that inhibit that local food sector? I passionately believe in the need for a hub. I think that we need a hub, um, whether that be in Inverness or Dingwall, but in that region, a hub for logistics particularly. But I think that, you know, the, the processing side of it, we have got so much good quality primary produce in the region, whether that's on land or sea, but we don't have the processing facilities to get to the added value. I think there's employment opportunities within the added value. I mean, why send your core product away 
south to get made into a fish cake, for example, or you know, into a salmon fillet or into mince or beef and to be packed. So I think that there's an opportunity, definitely an opportunity, and that might be through collaboration, a cooperative or whatever. And I think there's money in the budget there for it, for building a physical hub, an innovation hub through the city region deal. So we have got an opportunity, but it's that shared, it's the shared part in the cost of even some of the machinery to do the added value. It just prices it out the market for, you know, perhaps a cheesemaker to make their product into a, a retail ready product. That, that piece of equipment could cost quarter million pounds to do it in scale, but that might be something that could be shared. Further to that, John, what would you like to see change going forward? I would like to see, it's easy to say the word, it's maybe not so easy to do, but I definitely want to see a lot more collaboration. I want to see a closer link between industry and the public sector. I think that we can both win through that. We can both achieve our goals if there's just that closer link, a little bit more listening and understanding from both sides. I think it's the push of the entrepreneur and the pull of government. They need to be matched. Um, And, you know, we have to understand that we are in one of the most geographically challenged regions in Scotland, you know, in, in the UK perhaps. But, you know, and that's where food miles and reducing them. If we work together, we can do a bit more of that. Yeah. So, John, tell me about your newest venture, the Highland Food and Drink Club. What is it about? The Highland Food and Drink Club, it's always been farm to fork, local supply chain. But now I think we're going the route of two different elements. One is supply chain and one is the supper club. The supply chain is I'm working with four companies at the moment to help them develop and grow their business that are based in the Highlands and Islands. The Supper Club is I've approached a network of quality venues in the Highlands that offer a good customer experience within a nice, friendly environment and they're good at supporting local and Scottish produce. And that's going to be a celebration of local and Scottish and it's going to be a subscription service to be a consumer member of the Highland Food and Drink Club. Bad timing right now, you know, hospitality is having a really really hard time so this is hopefully going to help them when we're coming out of covid well it's an exciting thing to look forward to isn't it and it's great that you've already got venues and restaurants that have bought into this idea and hopefully through that you can really raise the profile of the quality of our local food that we've got going on here definitely and i think producers are going to have an opportunity to talk to the consumer audience directly through that because we'll be holding evenings and lunchtime occasions to do that. People buy from people. The product often can be secondary because it becomes the relationship and the story. So the story can often become more important than actual product. So build a relationship, open mind, and don't be scared to go and approach people. What can retailers and restaurant owners do to support producers? So if you sort of flip to that round... Again, they can do it depending on their business model. So some people are quite flexible, adaptable, and will work with local producers. Other people are a bit prescriptive and they want a kind of consistent supply chain. And again, I think it's just being open and honest with what you are able to give to that relationship. From listening to you, I'm thinking that your one wish for the Highland food system would be to have this hub 
where all our produce from across the region yes. comes into the central place for processing and for onward distribution within our region and our community and then to a wider market which then makes the whole business model for our local producers perhaps more sustainable, I guess, if it's got a wider market. Yeah. 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 A big thank you to Quinton, Craig and John. It seems to me that there's definitely an appetite out there for quality local produce. The key seems to be working together with a collective collaborative approach. A collective being far greater than the sum of its parts. If you're feeling inspired listening to this and you want to join the growing food movement here in the Highlands, why not come along to our conference in early 2021? You have been listening to the Highland Good Food podcast. Remember to subscribe at highlandgoodfood.scot and follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. See you next time.